a couple of weeks ago, we observed daylight savings time. Uh, this weird practice where we have uh, the changing of our clocks so that we have an hour more of sunlight in the summer months. Most years I haven't, I don't think much of it. My, most of the clocks change automatically now, but uh, I change the clocks, my body adjusts, and life moves on. But the past two weeks, I've noticed what a difference the extra hour of sunlight makes at the end of my day. Uh, we were eating dinner the other night around 6.30, and the sun was just, the rays of sunshine were coming in the window and hitting our table as we ate our meal. And it was in that moment, I said to Mary, this is incredible. There's so much light. And it made me want to linger at the table a little longer and savor that sunlight. And I realized how much we take light for granted. We flip a switch or ask Google to turn on the lights, and just like that, the lights come on. I'm thankful for these modern conveniences of electricity and light bulbs, but I think that because of these, if we're not careful, we'll miss the force, the meaning of Jesus' words when he says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the second of Jesus' seven I am statements throughout the Gospel of John. And over uh, these next few weeks, we are walking through the Gospel of John and taking a look at these I am revelatory statements that Jesus makes. And these are not just passing metaphors that Jesus uses. Uh, the grammar that Jesus uses is very intentional. He says in the Greek, ego a me, which means I, I am. It connects Jesus' words to the very words of God in the Old Testament when God reveals his name to Moses and he says, I am, ego me. And so in each of these I am statements, we see that Jesus is simply telling us, he isn't simply telling us what he's like. He's telling us who he is. He is God. And so when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, our minds are taken back to the very first words we ever hear come from the mouth of God. Let there be light. And there into a world that is formless and void, God speaks. And light becomes the first visible expression of God's creative presence in the world around us. So it's not surprising that all throughout Scripture, light becomes this picture, this metaphor of God's presence. When the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness after God delivered them from Egypt, we're told that he led them by night by a pillar of fire. And this light that guided them was a tangible, a visible expression of God's presence, that he is light. It's not surprising then that the Old Testament prophets uh, pick up on this theme of light. 
when they prophesy of a day when God will visit the earth and bring salvation to all people. And these prophecies in the Old Testament look forward to a day when light will come. And not just the light that God spoke into existence, but the light that is God. And so Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, verse 19, The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. What a beautiful promise of hope. And that hope is that God will be our lights. And so the Gospel writer John picks up on this theme when he starts his Gospel. He says in the opening verses that take us back to Genesis 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And in Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And John connects our minds back to God who spoke light into being and takes us to Jesus who became flesh, who dwelt among us, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. I think John is one of those who's very picky with his words. He wants us to hear all of the backstory of light in the Old Testament when we read that the light has come. And that's what he says a few verses later. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world has, was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And there the tension begins. The light has come, but the darkness did not recognize him. In John chapter 3, as John moves through his gospel, we have that familiar verse that Many of us know it's written on Tim Tebow's cheeks. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel of why Jesus came. That we might have eternal life. But because this verse has become so popular, that people, people know John 3, 16... Uh, many of us miss the verses that follow. And, and this, is, this is what John says just a couple verses later in John chapter 3. This is the verdict. And if I can put that in like modern vernacular, he says, here's the sitch. Here's the situation. 
Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. And there in John 3, John teaches an import, us an important lesson about light and what it does. Light exposes what is darkness and reveals what is life. That's what light does. It exposes what is darkness and reveals what is life. There are two responses to light. One is what the experience I had the other night as I sat at the table and the rays of sunshine came in and I just savored it. I appreciated it. I just wanted a little bit, a few more minutes of sunlight before the sun set. But there's a whole different experience when you're in your REM cycle of sleep and somebody flips on the light switch that anger fills your soul. You throw a pillow across the room. And these are the two responses that John gives when the light comes into the world. When Jesus came to his people, there are two responses. And this is, this is all throughout scriptures. There is, oh, you, are, you either have one of two responses to Jesus. Either you love the light or you love the dark. There's no middle ground. And, and, and that's, what, that's what he says. Here's the verdict. Here's the situation. The light came into the world. It exposed the darkness. It reveals the life. Do you love the light? Or do you love the darkness? The other night, I, um, we'd gotten into bed. We were getting ready to go to sleep. And I remembered that I forgot to turn the, the heat down. And we like it cool in the house at night. So I went to go downstairs. But the other day we were at Tractor Supply and uh, Oliver uh, was, uh, he, he doesn't usually do this, but he smelled something in the aisle that was making his head turn. And so we, we stopped and we were like, well, what is this that he smells? And, and, and he takes us over to this shelf and uh, there's this pack of bones. Uh, I mean, there, there were these big bones that were filled with this dog food substance inside is not the kind of thing that we would ever buy for Oliver. But he was so determined that we let him take it off the shelf and carry it up to the register and we made him pay for it. So um, uh, we got him these bones. Well, okay, so the other night I went, I was going, headed downstairs to uh, turn the heat down and right at the top of the stairs, Oliver had left a bone and I'm walking and my foot steps down on it. And in that moment, I wished I had turned the lights on. <laughs> but this is the reality when you walk in darkness. You cannot see what is in front of you. You cannot see what is harmful. And you cannot see what is good. 
And this is the situation, this is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness. I was, I was already in the nighttime mode. I didn't want to flip on the switch. Light exposes what is darkness and reveals what is life. And so here, I wanted to give kind of this big context for light in John's Gospel. And so from this literary context of John's Gospel, we see that when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. We understand that Jesus is a light that exposes what is darkness and reveals what is life. But in order for us to fully grasp the force of Jesus' words in John 8, 12, we have to understand the setting in which Jesus spoke them. And to do that, we need to go to chapter 7 of John's Gospel. And, and in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, now, the last day of the festival, what it's referring to, if we go back earlier in John chapter 7, we see that the, the Jewish people were celebrating what was called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in order for us to fully understand the force of Jesus' words, I am the light of the world, we have to go to the Feast of Tabernacles together this morning. There in the early first century, the the Jewish people were celebrating what God had commanded them to celebrate in Leviticus 23. God had, had described a festival that they were to have every year. And this is what he said, celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. And so every year, seven days would be set apart. And rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And so it's the, celebra it's the party that they were to have. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for generations to come. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. So your descendants will know that I had, I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so during the Feast of Tabernacles... Uh, the people of Israel will make these temporary shelters. They basically camp out for seven days and they would have celebrations. And it would be a time of great joy, of feasting, and of remembering the time when the people of Israel lived in these temporary shelters in the wilderness after God delivered them from Egypt. And it was, in many ways, not just a celebration of what God did in the past, but in the ritual and the liturgy of the Feast of Tabernacles, the people of Israel would go back to the prophets, the prophets of the Old Testament, and they would, uh, they would have this thing that they would do. And, and so in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, on the last and greatest day of the feast, and so the, the, basically the party of the Feast of Tabernacles builds up to the last day, and they have this ceremony that they do. And they would, they would go and they would take these big jugs. The priests would take these jugs and they'd go down to the pool of Siloam, which is in Jerusalem, and they would get water from that pool. And they'd have this ceremonial process where they would take these jugs of water and the people are cheering. And there's this procession to the courts of the temple. 
And they come to the altar of the temple. And they read Isaiah 12, verse 3. And it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would take these, wa- these jugs of water and they would pour them over the altar. And you'd have the water flowing over the altar. And then they would read Zechariah 14. It says, on that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord, with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. And if you go back and read Zechariah 14, it is a prophecy where Zechariah is telling of a day when, ev- when people from every nation of the earth will celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And so it, there's this picture of a day that is coming where there's two images. One is there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. And the second image is that streams of water, of living water, will flow out of Jerusalem. Well, after they poured, they would pour, and and Jewish people still do this to this day, they they pour the water over the altar, and um, the celebrations would start. And it's in that context that in John chapter 7, verse 37, Jesus says, stands up at the Feast of Tabernacles and says, let anyone who is thirsty come and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. I mean, we have to imagine the scene of Jesus speaking these words to people who have just poured water on the altar in our proclaiming that one day living water will come from Jerusalem. And Jesus says, it's here. And then, during the Feast of Tabernacles, after they pour the water on the altar, they have this ceremonial lighting of of these candelabras. There's these four big candelabras in the temple courts. And, um, and, and it was set, and there, there's, this, um, there's this line, and if you go back in Jewish literature, in, in, in what's called the Mishnah, this is some rabbinical literature that would have been uh, what the Jews would have used in Jesus' day, they would say this line, and I love this, he who has not seen the joy of the place of water drawing has never seen joy in his life. And, and, and so it's this ceremonial pouring of the water, and they say, he who has never seen the joy of this celebration has never seen joy in his life. And then they're getting ready to start the party. They light these candelabras, these four candelabras in the temple courts. And it lights up the outer courts, and all the people are gathered. And Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's there 
that Jesus reveals to us. Not just something that he's like, something that reveals darkness, exposes darkness and reveals life. He is making a claim there that he is the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, the one who would bring the everlasting life, the living water to his people. Jesus is making a claim there that is revealing his identity, making a promise of hope, because he is saying, I am the fulfillment of what all the prophets have been looking forward to. What this Feast of Tabernacles, this celebration where you say it's all about joy, that's me. And he is telling us that there is an invitation. And I love that about Jesus' statement here in John 8, 12, that it's not just this abstract statement of I am the light of the world, but he gives an invitation that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You'll be able to see those bones in front of you. And he makes a promise that you will have the light of life. You notice that Jesus likes using this kind of phrase because last week we looked at that he is the bread of life. And here he says, I am the light of life. And just as Jesus is the bread that gives life in that he satisfies what our souls long for and he is what our souls need, here in John chapter 8 we see that Jesus is the light that we need, but also that he is the light that brings life. And I think that we could it would be fair for us to adapt the words, um, the words that the Jewish people would use there at the Feast of Tabernacles when they said, he, he who has never seen the joy of water drawing has never seen joy in his life. And I think it's fair to take from Jesus' statement in John chapter 8, verse 12, that I am the light of the world, that he who has not seen the light of Jesus has never in his life seen joy. Because Jesus is not just making this abstract statement. He is there standing in temple courts that are lit up with hope. And he says, I am your hope. I am your joy. And he doesn't just make a promise that he's a light that will guide us. He says, you will have. He says, I am yours. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so the light of Jesus comes and invites us into something so joyful, so life-giving. To follow him who is the light of life. And one of the things I think we have to realize is that Jesus did not come to expose the darkness. Sometimes when we hear Jesus is the light of the world, we have this image of God coming and shining his spotlight on your sin. Now, exposing darkness is something that light just inevitably does. 
But Jesus says in John, or John says in uh, chapter 3, verse 17, right after God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He says in the immediately following, Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And this is what we have to see, is that Jesus did not come to be the spotlight to say, you're all sinners, but he came to be a lighthouse, and in that we realize we're all sinners. And we realize the darkness and the sin in our lives. And I'd like to just make a couple of applications as we walk away from this and and recognize that Jesus is the light of the world, is that I think that we all need to do some sunbathing. We need to set aside time in our lives where we simply, like I was doing the other night at the table, we sit and linger a little longer and savor the light of Jesus. And part of what he's going to do when we do that is he's going to expose darkness in our lives. And one of the things I see in my life is that the times that I neglect spending time with Jesus are times where my soul is loving things of darkness rather than light. And, 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 and it's not always as uh, clear-cut as we think that might be, because there's times where perhaps my soul is wanting the approval of others more than the approval of God. And in those moments, my soul is gravitating toward the things of darkness rather than the things of light. And for me to spend time with Jesus, it's going to expose the light inevitably exposes darkness and it's going to expose my sinfulness. And it's hard work. It's hard work to spend time allowing the light of Jesus to shine into the depths of our souls. And as it says in 2 Corinthians, that we might be transformed. Transformed into the same likeness. But I want us to recognize this morning, and this is what I want to close with, is that Jesus' words, I am the light of the world, are a revelation of his identity. They reveal that he is God. He is the hope that all of the story of God has been looking forward to. It is a promise of hope. Because we see in Revelation that there will be a day. Actually, let me read it from Revelation uh, chapter 20. Because as we see, the light start, this image of light starts in Genesis uh, 1 verse 3 when God speaks light into the world. And then in Revelation chapter, uh, let me see here, um, Revelation chapter 21, it says this, and this is our hope. And this is what Jesus, when he says, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is our hope. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them and be their God. There will be no more death or mourning or crying, for the old order of things has passed away. And it says in the next chapter in verse 5, in verse 4, it says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will be no, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is our hope. And this is what Jesus wants us to linger in. To linger in the light of that hope. And recognize that Jesus came to invite us to invite the darkness, which was you and me, to put our faith, our hope in Jesus, that we might experience the joy of the light of life. And I think it could be true to say, that he who has experienced the light of Jesus has experienced true and lasting joy.